Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage. I'm Yolanda Brown and this is the podcast that gets under the skin of classical music with the musicians of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In today's episode, recorded backstage at the Royal Festival Hall, which is alive with activity, which is lovely to see so many people heading to concerts or having a coffee, I'm going to be asking how you theme and plan orchestral repertoire, looking at the LPO's current season, which is called A Place to call home. I'm joined by the LPO's artistic director, Elena Duvignets, and violinist and president of the LPO board, Martin Herman. Great to have you back on the podcast, Martin, and welcome, Elena. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Now, Elena, if I can start with you, the role of artistic director is new to the LPO. You're the first person in the position. Congratulations, as of September 2021. What does your job entail and how's it going? It's going great. It's the best job in the world, and I'm grateful to the musicians for establishing it. There were some predecessors to my role, but I'm in my second season already, and this is probably the longest uh, in this role. The role is extremely interesting and different from how it's perceived at other orchestras, because what the musicians did when they decided to establish it was ensuring that the artistic issues are evaluated at the highest possible level, and they are no less important or more important than financial and all other issues. Typically, artistic projects could be driven by uh, the financial situation, but for this orchestra, it's really important that they're not, that there are values that persist forever, regardless of what's going on around us in the world or in the politics or in the economic situation. Mm. And Martin, what's your role as president? As president, I am... Maybe it's best described as the most senior player representative on the board, but also within the orchestra from a governance perspective. So in in a self-governing orchestra, we tend to make decisions on appointments and all issues related to players um, together with management. I think what is new about Elena's position is that we uh, we have a dedicated artistic director and a dedicated chief executive who are used to be one person. And so we've been able to bring in this fantastic expertise that Elena brings as being solely artistic director. Martin, for clarity, what is a season? Well, the concert season at the Royal Festival Hall runs from September to May the following year, usually. And um, it's between 30 and 35 concerts at the Royal Festival Hall. However, there's obviously a lot of other work that takes place in this period of time. We're going on tour, we're doing recording sessions. And then from June to the end of August, we are resident orchestra at the Glyndebourne Festival Opera, which is our second home. But talking about the theme for this season, I was in a meeting when you first explained it uh, to the room, why you'd chosen it. And I actually left the meeting very emotional, uh, how you summed it up, Elena. What led you to the name, A Place to Call Home? And what led to this becoming the theme for the LPO's 22 to 23 season? Thank you. (laughs) That's really wonderful for me to know that our theme actually resonates with people and especially with you. When I started my job at LPO, it was August 2021. It was 
straight after the pandemic, it was actually still ongoing. It's still ongoing, but at that time, we were beginning to perform again for live audiences. And that was a major challenge already uh, for our art form. But on top of it, as I was moving to London, the political situation started changing in the world, not just in this country in anticipation of Brexit, but also everywhere around us. A few weeks before my proper move to London, the horrible crisis began in Afghanistan, and we began hearing about Taliban and immigrants trying to escape from the country and how difficult it was for them. And this was a primary trigger for my thinking that some of our programming should be related to that situation and to some other situations. I wish I knew that a terrifying situation would happen in my own country uh, very soon. I'm from Russia, and as we all know now, Russia invaded Ukraine just a few months after the situation in Afghanistan. And uh, the whole world started seeing the Ukrainian refugees and also people living from Russia. Obviously, our seasons usually are planned very early on, but we were able to change many programs and to adjust our programming to reflect what was going on around us. And of course, we were talking not only about the current events, but also about Uh, similar situations in the past. For example, bulk of our season always consists of, you know, the most wonderful music from the previous periods. But we decided to focus previously written uh, music to accommodate our theme in a way. And uh, we have programmed a number of compositions by composers who managed to escape from the Nazi regime in Europe during the Second World War or after the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, you know. And we also managed to incorporate some music by composers who didn't leave their own countries and didn't want to and didn't need to. But in their music, they wanted to talk about their hometowns, home places that they loved. So a place to call home is not necessarily only about the tragic stuff that is happening around us. It's also about the beauty of your homeland and it's about the warm feelings toward your native countries. As a scholar, I have always wanted to explore the issue of what a home means to different people, to those who have always lived in the same place, to those who had to move, to those who had to escape from their own countries, and to those who have never had homes. And the questions that are constantly on my mind are, what is home? Is it just a safe harbor within the confines of the four walls? Or is it something else? Is it an emotional place where you feel that you belong to a culture or to a nation or to a geographic location? Maybe it's a historical time and place, or maybe it's all of the above. It's fascinating and so right for now both for people that have experienced something like that, but also for the empathy. And I think what we've seen a lot now is 
people feeling more empathetic. How can we help? How can we feel? How can we understand? And this program really does lean into that. Martin, how can you represent those heavy themes in music? If we take, for example, exile and politics. As Elena just said, we've been playing music by composers affected by the Nazi regime and before for various reasons who were driven out of their home countries. They are part of our standard repertoire. Maybe we haven't thought of it in this context quite as clearly before. So we don't have to go far to be putting these thoughts into our programs. However, then with Elena and what Elena just described, we've gone a step further and we're playing, particularly this season, a lot of repertoire that is new to the LPO and new to, I think, the world and and audiences over, quite frankly. And in terms of music really carrying that powerful message, how do you start to settle on repertoire to really reflect it? I mean, there's so much music out there. How do you start to really get into the weeds and knuckle down a programme? There is indeed a lot of music and you can carve out any type of program, honestly, (laughs) because our art form is so varied. And for me, it's always important to balance our programs in multiple ways, in fact. Of course, we are presenting organization. We play music not for ourselves. We do it for people. So we really need to understand what our audiences are excited about, what would attract them to our concerts, what would they connect with emotionally and psychologically, you know. But also it's important for me to represent the composers because what is unique about our art form is that there is a mediator between the composer and the audience member, right? When you go to a museum, there is no mediator. You are watching pieces of art yourselves. Nobody's translating them for you, right? You are emotionally inspired in a much more direct way. The piece of paper with some music <laughs> written on it, uh, many people don't know how to read it. They wouldn't make anything out of it. And we need our wonderful um, musicians to interpret the composer's ideas for us. So we occupy this very unique niche that allows us to speak on behalf of the composers. Each piece can be interpreted in multiple ways. That's a separate story. But when I begin programming our seasons, I always think about the composers. And I also think about those who have or haven't made it to the existing programming. And right now, um, the entire world has been changing so quickly that we, as an art form, has been pushed to change as well. And one of the most important changes from my standpoint is to be able to broaden a list of composers whose music we perform. So expanding the classical music canon, so to speak, is one of my primary tasks when I'm programming. Can you highlight some of the the repertoire that you have either coming up or that you've played that really sort of burrows down into the themes, for example, exile and politics, uh, yearning for home, love to home, love letters to home. Are there any pieces that really stand out that you thought that has to be it, that really defines this theme? Let me start with the love letters. Very soon we'll be doing Mavlast by the Czech composer Smetana. 
It's a very popular piece. We will be doing approximately half of it. The entirety of it would occupy the entire evening, and we decided just to to do four movements. It's just such a gorgeous representation of, you know, his vision about his native land that any person, not necessarily born in his native country, could relate to it. It's just beautiful. We've done a piece by a very interesting and underappreciated composer from the United States, George Walker. He was 96 when he passed away a couple of years ago, one of the first African-American composers to be awarded major prizes in his native country. And his piece, Lilacs, was about his love for his native land, translated through some beautiful poetry dedicated actually to some political events, but the title Lilacs tells you that he was mostly thinking about the beautiful flowers in his own garden, you know. You also asked me about pieces that might not be necessarily very optimistic. Amongst them was one of the pieces written by a British composer, Michael Tippett. During the Second World War, he wrote a piece that we performed earlier this season, which is called A Child of Our Time. It's about the Kristallnacht, that terrifying night in November 1938 when the Nazi regime decided to punish Jewish people across Germany, across the entire country, for something that just one person did, and it triggered the war, and Tippett witnessed it, and he, in fact, was a pacifist. He never went to war. He even was imprisoned for his decision not to fight. But in his music, he reflected this tragic situation, and for me personally, um, that performance was definitely a highlight of our current season. And Martin, what has been the impact of playing more music outside of the well-known classical orchestral pieces uh, and that you regularly play and pieces by more diverse composers? I guess I'm asking the impact on the orchestra, but as well the audience. Well, there, there is certainly an impact on the orchestra and playing uh, lesser-known pieces because I guess in the past, maybe I'm talking over 10 years ago, it was quite predictable what was in, in a season and you would do cycles of Beethoven, Shostakovich and that's what we were doing that was what everybody got used to mm. including the musicians and there was the odd world premiere of, of a piece but it wasn't that we were pushing ourselves and the audiences in this sort of way so I think the impact on the orchestra is that we are having to balance our energy and our forces in terms of learning new music against relying on something that we already know. It's quite tricky at times because our season is long. Also, even if you just look at the Royal Festival Hall season, there are other projects in between. There are tours, there are recording sessions, a lot of work that happens away from the stage here at the Festival Hall. We have to prepare in a different way when there's lesser known music Mm. or new music for us to play but at the same time I think it's great to have that purpose and also the word relevance is hugely important to us and I, I think as Elena just described we are the mediator that can make decisions on who is played that's an incredibly important role to play I would say 
My world as a violinist has changed quite a bit over the last few years with new influences coming in new directions. And it is something that you have to embrace. Yeah. And what's the response been like from the audiences? Just the other day, we performed a very well-known piece by Gavin Bryars, a British composer who's turning 80 next week, which is called Jesus' Blood Never Failed Me Yet. It's a piece that can be performed in any shape or form, strangely enough, by any number of musicians, and it can be of any length. I think the shortest, he said, 90 seconds. And the longest has been overnight, but I wouldn't be surprised if it could be performed even longer length because it's very repetitive. What this piece does is rotating around a song by a certain person that was recorded. And this song is put on a loop. So it can be repeated as many times as you want. And that person was a homeless person. Nobody knows what it was. It's something unknown that he might have created himself. And he did it right here near Waterloo. And a recording accidentally made it into Gavin Breyer's hands. And he, he used it for this incredibly emotional composition, which affects many people what encouraged Gavin when he was creating this piece. He wanted for this unknown, unnamed person to be dignified and to stay in history, even though he was somehow transforming the song by using his own compositional skills. So when this music is played, people react differently. And I've seen some critical response in the press because Gavin has been accused of all things like appropriation and disrespect and all of that. But in fact, the music is what makes it work. He was extremely respectful to this um, Mm. uh, person because he, he never wanted to hide behind any possible issue. He always wanted to demonstrate that this person who created this song was a composer, you know, and it was a partnership. It wasn't just Gavin writing this music. And in fact, he put a lot of uh, effort into trying to find that person, but he disappeared. He might have passed away. We don't know. Normally, audience members react very warmly to these performances. And this is what we experienced the other day. And our first performance of the day was for homeless people. We invited quite a bunch of them. We had about 90 people in attendance at St. John's. And I'm grateful to the church because they actually introduced us to these people. They work with them on a regular basis and they invite them to our performance. I want to think that we gave those people their musical home for a couple of hours. They were um, really emotionally affected by this experience. And then we had um, two more performances for regular audience members, so to speak. We did it in a very unusual way. We didn't perform in a concert hall. We performed at a church, and there was no stage. The musicians were situated amongst the audience members, uh, which added to some 
informality and very different experience. It was dark. The church was lit in a very special way, especially for our piece. We actually invited a, a lighting designer there to work with us. And by incorporating the elements that you wouldn't experience that often on a regular concert stage, I think we managed to impress many people in a different way. That's a really special, special experience. And Martin, what have been some of the emotional experiences for you playing this music, understanding the journey, understanding the theme? Has anything different happened to you in some of these performances? Something should always happen in every performance. I, I think that's the starting point and we are trying to engage with all the music that we are playing in, in the same sort of uh, intensity. I would say that this whole subject of home is incredibly relevant to musicians generally because there's in the LPO I don't can't speak for any other orchestra but in the LPO there's so many musicians who moved to the UK to join the LPO or initially to study in in, in London and then became members of the LPO a lot of them left their homes to be in London and part of the LPO mm. myself included so the whole subject matter of being at home, at least geographically, originally somewhere else, is something that resonates quite strongly with a lot of my colleagues. And so talking about this in a musical way is quite relevant to all of us. And I know the season's not over yet, but so far, has there been a favourite moment for you or a standout moment for you that you just thought, wow, that, that really shook me to the core, if you like? I would agree with Elena that the performance of the Tippet Child of our time was really, really moving. Maybe that particular piece wasn't necessarily the sort of love letter to home or a displacement issue. At that point, it was written yet. But I think it's it was an incredibly moving performance, and I think it had that sort of credibility mm. that reminds us why we are playing the music. And here on LPO Off Stage, sometimes we do deep dives into pieces of music and really get into the composer's life, what they were thinking at the time, what they were trying to say. And I've had mixed responses, actually. Sometimes I ask the musicians, you know, are you thinking about what the composer went through when he wrote or she wrote this piece? Or are you just trying to get the notes right and do your best performance? And sometimes somebody says, yeah, I really get to know what was happening. Sometimes they say, no, I just want to bring musicality and my best technique to the music. So for the audience as well then, in a way, does a theme help an audience approach the orchestral season in a type of way that makes them really understand the music a bit more? Do you think delve deeper into the music? That's a very interesting question, and it's hard to answer it because we never know who from our audiences knows what. You know, some people would have read the program notes, others would have purchased a ticket last minute, not knowing what's on the program. From my own perspective, I think a story, a narrative around a program or a season certainly helps. Mm. Some people connect more with what we have to say or perform for them. I'll give you a very basic example. Um, probably everyone knows that Beethoven became deaf by the end of his life, and probably every other person knows that his symphony number no. five was actually written when he was becoming deaf. And how do you experience this music? If you don't know about it, 
it's one piece of music, but if you know that the composer was having difficulties hearing when writing this piece, then it's a very different story, right? Very true. Um, so again, when we can, we organize pre-concert talks or post-concert conversations. We write about music in our program materials and online, by the way. Online, they are always available. So even those who didn't quite know anything about the music at the time of the concert, they can come back and read about it. I tend to think that it's helpful, but if not, some people are excited to just experience it at an emotional level without investing too much time or energy into studying about mm -hmm. it. There's no right or wrong here. And equally for the musicians, do you feel that they come on a journey through the season or are they just playing concert by concert, turning up and playing? Focus on, on the technical execution, the excellent performance is the main goal. But the same that Elena just said for the audience is true for the musicians. It helps enormously to capture what actually the composer wanted on a piece of paper to know the backstory of it. And when the composer is present at rehearsals, they will speak about their music and what they were trying to achieve. That is an incredible insight that sometimes, unfortunately, the audience doesn't quite have like that. And, and we've debated lots of times how we can make that meeting between a composer and the audience happen and maybe it doesn't happen often enough but it's certainly something that inspires the musicians in the same way as the audience. We speak a lot about classical music wanting to get new younger or different diverse audiences in through the doors. What does it mean for a modern symphony orchestra to be relevant and how important is it? I would say that for a Modern symphony orchestra, relevance is one of the most important issues because there is a tendency to think that our art form, classical music in general, is antiquated and wouldn't survive for a long time because there are other art forms that are populating the world now that might take the precedence. But it's not true. You know, people have continued coming to our concerts because they have connected with us emotionally or otherwise, and they need us in their lives. And of course, if you think about other art forms, for example, cinema, it wouldn't have survived without us. You know, they still use us yeah. in so many ways. But we constantly have to prove ourselves nowadays because there is this perception that we are somehow dying, which is not true, we are not. <laughs> One of the ways to prove the fact that we are essential, that we are necessary, is to, to be relevant. And when people can see themselves through our art form, that always helps. And I'm a huge believer that, you know, if young people can see somebody like them on the stage, you know, performing our beautiful classical instruments, orchestral instruments, then they might get better appreciation for our form. They might come back to our concerts when they become older. It all starts when they're young mm. and we have been paying a lot of attention to educating our audiences from a very early age. We are proud to perform Lots of concerts for school kids, for families. It's our 
better attended concerts, <laughs> I'm proud to say. And, uh, you know, it gives me hope that we, uh, we will be seeing th these people for many years to come and that we will remain important for their lives. And how do you plan for relevance? I mean, you spoke earlier about being able to be a bit reactive with the programme, considering the state of the world and what was happening at the time. But I'm guessing you plan the season quite far in advance. How much scope do you have to change programmes to react um, and make sure that the orchestra is staying relevant? Mm -hmm. When the Taliban crisis started happening, I began looking for a composer from Afghanistan who we could represent on our seasons. And I came across this very young composer whose um, name is Artson Fahim, who had just moved to the United States prior to the situation, and uh, he was studying there, um, but I saw some potential in his music, and we invited him to submit a couple of compositions to us, and then we played one of his pieces on our season earlier this fall. And it was done in partnership with our young artists. Some members of LPO were joined by members of our program that educates young musicians and gives them opportunities to perform on, on the main stage next to our wonderful musicians. They performed this piece by our son. I have to say that it was perhaps one of the best covered events of the season, wow. you know. It somehow triggered so much attention from the press and from audiences and from bloggers. It was just exciting to realize that the power of a pretty simple piece of music yeah. was so enormous. Wow. And for the musicians, what is a perfect season? We want to play certain repertoire regularly. From our point of view, this is very important that you pass certain generated, accumulative knowledge to younger players who join. So if, let's say, we would stop playing Mahler symphonies for five years, a whole generation of new musicians would not really get to learn these pieces. And then when you come back to them, it will be very, very hard. And some of the knowledge will be lost and needs to be found again. And so, so it is important that we care for what the LPO has built over the 90 years of its existence. But at the same time, I believe that the musicians also want to be on the forefront of what's new and what's, what's relevant and what, what is cutting edge in our genre. Splendidly put. I'm looking forward to the rest of this season and to what's coming next. And thank you so much for bringing fantastic music to the musicians and the audiences. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Elena Dubinets and Martin Herman for giving us an insight into the LPO's current season, A Place to Call Home. Check out the LPO's many upcoming concerts at lpo.org.uk. And thank you for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, where we'll be discussing the experiences of the newest and most experienced members of the orchestra. I can't wait.